I, I didn't set out to write sweet. I, uh, part of it's just, that's, that's sort of my, my style of writing, I guess, if you will. But, um, and I, I read all across the spectrum of romance, but it's not about the sex for me so much as it is the, the, the story, the push pull between these two characters. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy, and it's silly, and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco, and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive... (laughs) See what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Eliana West writes contemporary interracial romance. Her first book, The Way Forward, was published by Tool Publishing in 2020. When not writing, Eliana can be found exploring the many wineries in Oregon and Washington with her husband in their vintage Volkswagen Westfalia. Do I have that right? Yes. Named Bianca. I love you. I love that you named your Volkswagen Westfalia. Uh, She is the founder of Writers for Diversity, a community for writers interested in creating diverse characters and worlds. Welcome, Eliana, to Steam Seeds. I'm so psyched you're here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is going to be so fun. Oh, okay, wait, I have to ask about the Volkswagen. What's the Westfalia? Yes. Um, so it's a vintage Volkswagen camper van. Um, Bianca was born in 1987. And um, it's the kind you see driving down the road that kind of looks like a box. Okay. <laughs> it's very square. <laughs> and the top pops up and it's got a sink and a stove and the and it folds down and makes a bed and um and mainly it's just a great way to um tour wineries because we can like hit a whole bunch of wineries and then find a nice park and pop the tent and have a little lunch and take a nap and then so so we so it's basically a very expensive uh way of uh getting to tour twice as many wineries that we normally would be able to do oh my god this is so cool I love that you're living van life we love van life it's awesome and we have we have a um a little piece of property over in eastern Washington that's along the Yakima River that we often on the weekends, that's where we go in the summer. And I always joke that, yes, we actually live in a van down by the river. Um, and it's awesome. I, I love every, it. Everything I know about Yakima, I know from iCarly. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> whoever oh, says God. TV doesn't teach us things have never seen no, iCarly or yeah, SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I would love to know when you realized you wanted to become a writer. Um, so you know what's funny is that I was writing for a while before I realized I was a writer, if that makes any sense. Okay, explain. I, I, I didn't have I didn't wake up and have this moment of like, I'm gonna be a writer. Um, my background is actually in retail and oh. I had a little boutique that I opened in 2007, um, just mere months before the economic crash because oh. timing is everything. Yay. And, um, 
you know, struggled to keep it open for five years and then eventually just, I couldn't sustain the business. And, um, I was standing in the empty shell of once was my cute little adorable neighborhood boutique, freaking out, really having like a kind of a just moment of like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And, um, I had happened to hear a story about NaNoWriMo. And I just thought, you know, I've always been a creative person. I, I, I sew and I knit and I just was like, I need, I need a creative, I need to do something creative. I need to do something for my soul that will help heal me from this really difficult experience. And, um, I just wanted to sort of reset my mind. And so I thought, I'm going to do nano, <laughs> like not having a clue about anything. <laughs> and I wrote, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. And man, if I thought running the store was hard, I had no idea. Um, but I wrote 50,000 words and it was fun. You did the 50,000 in a month? I did. Amazing. And I wrote it all by hand. Ow. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I know it's crazy. Ow. And so I just kept writing because it was fun and it was new. And I was just really enjoying the creative outlet and, and that it wasn't, I wasn't making anything for someone. I was just doing it for me. So th- that first story, was it a romance? It was. Um, Did it, it become anything or is it still tucked away somewhere? You know it. I, I am looking at the spiral notebook sitting on my bookshelf right now. Um, it's still sitting there. I, I do sometimes think that one of these days I'm going to pull it out and see if I can't make something out of it. Right. <laughs> you know, as we know, um, the first thing we write is often really awful. So I'm a little bit afraid to go back and look at it, but, um, but I still actually like the premise of the story. Yeah. So you never know, never right. say never. Right. Right. Oh my God. That's so cool. So, okay. So you've, you've got your 50,000, you've done your novel, like you've, like you've kind of proven to yourself that you can do it. Why did right. you continue? Um, I think because that first story unlocked a whole world of stories that I had in me that I had no idea were lurking. All these characters were lurking in my head. And once I opened the door a crack, they pushed the door the rest of the way open. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and barged in and went, hey, we're here. Guess what? Oh, and did you hear that this happened? And You know, like, oh, and then this person said this. And, and, and that was it. I had to write it down. That is really cool. So <laughs> have, through all of this, have, has it always been the romance genre or have you dabbled in other genres? Um, it has always been the romance genre. And I, I, I wish I had a great reason why I, I always kind of joke that just my characters seem to just want to have like candlelit dinners and old <laughs> hands. So I was like, well, I guess it's a romance. <laughs> Are you a big romance reader or were you a big romance reader before? This? I, I, I was a big romance reader. And um, actually, the 
one of the first, I mean, I remember the first romance I ever read and it was a Harlequin. I can't remember the title, but I remember, I kind of remember what it was about. And it was when I was, I was a little girl. I was maybe, I was an early reader and I was a voracious reader. Okay. Um, so I was maybe nine or 10 years old. And um, we had a family friend who was um, my babysitter. And I found a Harlequin on her nightstand one night when I was spending the night at their house. And she was babysitting me, and I and I remember sneaking it under the covers that night and reading it, and um, and I was hooked. That was wow. it, and that was it. That from that you were like, okay, what what do you love about the romance genre? Um, well, I love a happy ending. Yeah. Um, I love the idea that it sounds so cliche, but love wins. That mm-hmm. you can overcome so many things, um, so many obstacles through um, compassion and passion. Okay. Being I love passionate that. about the person that you're with and compassionate in helping them overcome whatever obstacles are in their path. Oh, I love that. Oh, I actually love that compassion and passion. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. (laughs) I'm like, oh gosh, I sound so like talking about. It's great. (laughs) Okay. So you write sweet. I do. I'm sort of dying to know that first Harlequin that you read, was that a steamy one or was that tame? No, it was tame. Okay. Um, these were Harlequins. I actually collect vintage Harlequins. And I think it's because I'm forever trying to find that first book. Um, and I think it was a Harlequin Presents. And it was probably from the 70s. Okay. So okay. it was pretty tame. I don't know. When did they start getting racy? I feel like in the 60s and 70s, there was, they were all tame. There was no, like, you they didn't were very tame. Yeah. yeah. I think it wasn't really, honestly, until the maybe mid to late 80s. Okay. I, I'm just guessing. I Someone probably can dive into the history of Harlequin better than I can. Yeah, I might do that myself because I just find the whole thing so fascinating because I have some old... Um, I have, I don't know if they're Harlequins actually, I don't think that they are. Um, but I have a couple of old ones from like, you know, my grandmother's bookshelf Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're all pretty tame. Like there's, I mean, there's, there are some, I mean, honestly, some sort of eye popping moments, but, (laughs) but still relatively tame comparatively, you know, compared to today. (laughs) Well, and that's one of the things that I love about them and, um, I have I have from um from the fifties through kind of the seventies is sort of my sweet spot. And I they're like these little time capsules mm. of how we viewed the world and and relationships between men and women and you know, a lot don't age well. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. There's a lot of shockingly a lot of young wards who end up marrying their um their the the men who are in charge of them which is a little like okay that's disturbing but <laughs> but at the time i mean and and like I said even, even and even just the way they're written the language mm. um 
is language that we just don't use anymore. And so it's kind of fun to go back and look through them and, and, and be able to reflect on how far we've come in yeah. relationships between men and women. I mean, Victorian pornography, which is like, wow, right. they, had, they had it. It's like eye-poppingly. I mean, it's, it is, right? Yeah, it is so shocking. And you're just like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> and that's and that's the thing. I, I think underneath all of this very prim and proper, this veil of prim and proper is all this other stuff going on. Um, and it's fun to read between the lines. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are you really trying to say? What do you really want to have happen here? Because I'm thinking this is like, there's a lot more going on than what you're, what you're showing us. Is, I mean, is that why you write sweet? Because you would prefer that your readers read between the lines a bit? Or, or are you? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't set out to write sweet. I, a part of it's just that's that's sort of my my style of writing, I guess, if you will. But okay. um, I was just talking about uh, with my sister about this, and she's a librarian and she reads romance. She's an avid romance reader, and um, and we were talking about the fact that it's it's um, we both. And I, I read all across the spectrum of romance, but it's not about the sex for me so much as it is the, the, the story, the push-pull between these two characters. Okay. And so I think that's why I, I focus on that in my own writing. Okay. So it's more about the push, the push pull, the banter, the, mm-hmm. I don't know. I love yeah. the chase. I love a good <laughs> chase. Oh. Um, there's a great, there's a wonderful old Jude Devereaux uh, book, Sweet Liar, and it's all about the chase. The chase is fun, isn't it? I love the chase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is fun. Um, I'm kind of curious. I have a curious question about where you find these um, these old Harlequins. Where do you find them? Um, old vintage bookstores. Um, every once in a while... Um, I will come across an eBay listing and if, if it's a really good, um, grouping that I just can't resist, then I'll, I'll, I, I might splurge just a little bit. Oh, that's super fun. Are there any, do you have any authors from that time period that may have been forgotten to hit to history that you're like, they're like, Oh, this, this, this writer is great. Well, you know, what's interesting, um, and I can't speak to a specific writer, but a little known hidden history of Harlequin is that a lot of these were actually written by men. Really? And a lot were written by gay men who wrote under a pseudonym and wrote these Harlequin romances. I had no idea, although I'm not surprised. And when you know that, it's sort of like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Now some of the dialogue is like, ah, uh uh-huh, yep, I get it. So it's really interesting. Um, um, But uh, there are a lot of... um, um, 
writers who, so many writers who started as um, Harlequin authors, um, and I'm thinking of um, um, authors like Jude Devereaux and and um, and um, I'm just drawing a blank. I just had a moment and it just all flew out of my head. But um, but you know names that we're really familiar with now, but we've forgotten that they started as Harlequin writers. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like when you have like an actor on a soap, like a daytime yes. soap that breaks out. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of, you know, like this was kind of almost their training ground and then yes. they kind of break out, which is really cool. Absolutely. That that's is really a great awesome. way to put it. Oh that's my God. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. So have you ever written a steamy scene? Like, did you ever try it? I have tried to write steamy scenes and I'm really bad at it. Oh. <laughs> no. Now, are you just self-censoring? Are you being like overly self-critical here? No, I'm really bad at it. Oh, <laughs> come on. No. I, here's my problem. I am a descriptor. I will spend, th- if, if, if unfettered and just allowed to let, you know, fly free, I will spend 3,000 words describing the vase that the flowers are in. I love to describe things. And I get so caught up in my head of, um, I'm also very much a visual thinker. And so I'm picturing it in my head and I'm trying to write it all. And I get so caught up in the, well, his hand, the hand, and then what, and, and I, and it, and I, and what happens is, I'm so, I'm so caught up in the in the uh, mechanics that I that that I lose the passion. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I know some authors, and I am kind of this way, where I do get caught up in sort of the choreography of the of the mm-hmm. of the action, and sort of this goes here and that goes there, and you know what's being caressed and licked and whatever. Yeah. But then I sort of have to go back and start the, that layering process. Yeah. And I've, I've tried it and it just, for me, I just haven't quite gotten it right yet. It, and it doesn't mean I haven't stopped trying. I definitely would like to get to that point. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not there yet. And I also feel like for what I write, right. there's so much going on and, and they're a little bit angsty and they're kind of complicated topics that putting in a detailed sex scene in the middle of it is sort of like one thing too many. Okay. Fair if enough. If that makes sense. It you know, absolutely it just, does. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, and wow. Okay. And now we're going to go over here and we're going to do and a whole bunch of other stuff just happened. And, and now we're going to go have sex. Yeah. And now we're going to go have sex. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, it's too much. So I'm glad that you brought this up because I did want to talk about your books because you are writing about some very complicated situations. I am. 
you know, and these are pieces, these are situations that are rooted in very real histories. Yes. And sort of looking at how that history can have contemporary ramifications. Yes. Um, and I, like your books, I, I'm like, sign me up for the whole stack. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. I, I loved reading about them and like looking through the reviews and everybody is getting so much out of your work. So I want to, I want to talk about this a bit. What are you writing about? Um, well, so I, I, I'm writing about race. (laughs) Um, I'm writing about history and race and families and, um, it's, it's complicated, right? right? I mean, nothing is, um, nothing is really straightforward anymore. And particularly when it comes to race, um, in, in this country and, um, I'm biracial. I grew up, um, you know, at a time when I didn't see a lot of kids like myself, um, and where we got stared at a lot. Um, we used to joke when we would go out for dinner, my parents and I, that we were like, we were the floor show at the restaurant because inevitably we'd be seated in the middle of the restaurant and everybody would just stare. Um, and you know, these are real situations and I wanted, I, I, I personally as a writer just couldn't pretend like it wasn't there. Right. That's not the kind of writer I am. I can't just not, not have it be a part of the story. <laughs> right. right. Um, and I wanted to, because I have this, um, my family was very involved in the civil rights movement and, and, um, I have a, a pretty special, um, family history. And so people often say like, why do you write romance? You should write about your history, your, your family and you should, you know, write nonfiction. And, but I love the idea that I get to take on these serious topics, share my family history, but in a genre that inspires hope. Mm. Yeah. Like what a special, yeah. what a special privilege yeah. that I get to do that. That's kind of, I love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, just to sort of, I, you, I'm going to be, um, the scene you sent me was from your book, The Way Forward, um, from the heart of, uh, the heart of Colton series yes. on the first book. And so we'll be reading into that, but just to sort of take a look at that, um, at that book is sort of, you know, he was a bully. Yep. Um, Dax was a bully to Kaylee, um, and, and he was raised by a family of racists. Yep. And I'm, I'm assuming, <laughs> yep. And- <laughs> I went there. I did that. <laughs> and we're, this is Colton, Mississippi. I mean, that is deep South, right? Yeah. So, so my, my, um, last name is West and, um, I am a West from the town of West Mississippi. So, um, Colton is inspired by um, my own hometown. Um, um, I, I'm the first member of my family that wasn't born on what was the plantation. My sister and I are the first members of our family. Wow. And um, I spent every summer there growing up. And um, and again, it's complicated. Um, yeah. There are, and the whole idea behind the series is that just like in my real hometown, um, there are, there are, so there are 
white Wests and there are black Wests <laughs> and some of us are related and some of us aren't. And it's, and you know, it's a complex portrait of, of America. Yeah. And, um, and so that was sort of the premise for the town of Colton is that there are white Coltons and black Coltons and, and they share a history and, um, and that his history is not always convenient. History doesn't always fit into the boxes that we want to put it in. To. Right. Right. Um, and sometimes it makes us a little uncomfortable and sometimes it's squishy and sometimes it's, um, but is there, can we, you know, it's about exploring those ideas that can we over, can we, I don't want to say, can we overcome our history because it's our history, but can we, how do we move forward? Yeah. The way forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how do we, how do we, but how do we how do we take what we've learned from the past and what do we do with that in our, to, to make our future better? Right. Right. And, and I think woven throughout is going to be this really beautiful love story. And I think, I think that, I mean, there are a couple of things sort of like going on in my head right now. So just bear with me for a second, you know, (laughs) because I don't think you're writing and then love saves the day. Like that's no. not what you're doing, you know? No. So I just want to make that point that, that, that what you are doing is something a lot more, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that and really a mm-hmm. lot more beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, love, love certainly helps, but, um, it takes a lot, you know, I just, I just celebrated my 30th wedding anniversary with my husband and we congratulations. Thank you. We were out for dinner and we were just talking about, you know, that, um, you know, there's that passion when you first meet and that you can't get in. And then, and then, and then there's time together and, and that, and that passion changes and grows and morphs and sometimes there's more and sometimes there's less. And, and, and and it takes a, a fundamental respect and trust of each other to make mm-hmm. a partnership that's gonna go the distance. Yeah, you know it's funny because it co- kind of connects back to when you were talking about you know you love the sort of push and pull mm-hmm. and will they won't they that sort of the chase right you love the mm-hmm. chase and i think that's the thing that sort of gets all our heart races hearts racing at the beginning of a relationship and that's yeah. why we always write about you know nobody's writing a romance about um you know a a 30 year marriage yeah right <laughs> <laughs> although i would really love to but well you know. and i and- I think I'm trying to write romances that are laying the foundation for that. When you finish the book, maybe you know that in 30 years, Callie and Dax are still going to be sitting on the porch having a slice of seven up cake, watching their grandchildren run around in the yard. Right. Right. I'm trying to give you that base, that, that solid foundation. Right. For a future. But, and it's sort of, but the process through the book, I I feel like, is it, is it their growth? Um, yeah, although I feel like Dax showed up sort of grown out of whatever 
terrible things he was sort of dealing with. Yeah, Dax arrives ready to make amends. He just doesn't realize it's not as easy as go as walking in right. to a situation right. and going, I'm going to make amends because what if someone doesn't want your apology? What if someone isn't ready? Right. Um, you might be ready, but they're not. And, and also in his case, he does not expect to see this is a person that he didn't expect to apologize, have to apologize to. He wasn't expecting to see her there. So he's really thrown for a loop that he's confronted with a part of his past that maybe he, he felt like he had come to terms with, but then Mm. when faced with this person realizing, Oh yeah, I haven't really done the work that I thought I had done. (laughs) Right. Got a little bit more work to do. Got a little bit more work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Can we talk, can we talk about, it seems like a good time to talk about, um, writers for diversity. Oh yeah. Sure. Um, you know, uh, talk about what that is and also why you founded it. Um, sure. So writers for diversity is, um, first and foremost, we're a community of writers who, come with a common purpose to create diverse worlds and, and, and characters. And, um, really it stemmed from, um, having friends in the writing community, um, that I sort of, I, I'm not sure how, but sort of became the, um, the, um, resource person um, where people would approach me and say, Hey, I'm thinking about writing this character. I have a question. And um, what really became apparent was that people, people want to be more inclusive in their work, um, but they were afraid. Yeah. And understandably so. And, and so it really became, I honestly, I started the group as a, um, just if someone couldn't get a hold of me for some reason or didn't see me at a writer's group meeting to ask me a question, I thought, you know, I'm just going to start this Facebook group. And, um, and that way, if someone has a question, they can just ask it in the group and and we'll circle back around. And I also kind of wanted to open it up and make it more of a dialogue. And, um, and I thought like a, a dozen of my friends would join and, you know, now we're coming up on, it'll be, um, four years here coming up in the spring and, uh, 1500 members and growing and, um, and a really engaged and dynamic community. And, um, it really comes from my belief that, um, when we're learning something new, we, we can sometimes be, we're, listen, we're not always good at it. Right. And, and when we're learning a new skill and having, again, that safe space to come and ask questions. And, and maybe when we're first asking questions where we are sometimes um, maybe inartful in how we approach a topic because we're new and we're learning. And I wanted this to be a place where nobody was going to say, oh my God, I can't believe you, you, how dare you? I'm so offended that you asked that. And instead of um, sort of being a welcoming environment, um, 
where we can say, hey, that's a great question. Let's talk about it. Let's talk it through. Let's figure it out. <laughs> I kind of like I I think that we need more spaces like this, to be honest. I think that there's a lot of um, well, I mean, let's face it, it it's, it's such it can be so heated and triggering yes. and upsetting. Yes. You know, um, and 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 rightfully really or like rightfully so, you know, um, because you know, people's lived experience can be traumatic and horrifying. Right. Absolutely. Um, but I do think for the most part, you know, sometimes people plow forward and they don't mean to say the wrong thing. Right. They just do. You know? They just do. Because, yeah. And, be, and again, it's be, because you're learning, because you don't know. And if you, um, if you don't know, but you want to learn but you can't ask questions. Yeah. How do you grow? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really come from this. I, there's a, I, I had the privilege of hearing Stacey Abrams speak um, yeah. okay. a couple of years ago. She's amazing. And um, she said this thing and it was so funny when she said it, I sat, I bolted upright in my seat and my husband who knows me so well, very quietly reached into my handbag and pulled out a pen and a piece of paper because oh. <laughs> he was like, I know that luck. And, um, and I wrote it down and I, I, I put it on journal cards to give to people and I have it on my bulletin board and I say it probably way too many times in the course of a day. But um, what she said was perfection is impossible, but space to grow is always possible. Oh my God. I love it. And that has really become my mantra for this diversity work that I've, it's, it's, it's funny that, that, that moment in the empty shell of my store has so um, become a, um, a purpose that sort of filled an empty shell inside of me and I didn't, that I didn't know was there. And, and, and I'm so lucky. And, and, um, you know, it's funny. I, in a weird way, I'm carrying on my, my dad and my grandpa's legacy of civil rights work. Right. as how I look at it. And, and, um, it's really led me on a journey to become, you know, um, to do a certification in, in DEI work and, um, and educate myself and continue to give myself space to grow. And, um, and it's really a wonderful thing. And I, and, and, and we do need these spaces and we do yeah. need these communities and, and um, we need places where you can come to learn that aren't based in sort of a um, Brene Brown calls it hate and shame activism. And mm. I think, yeah. You know, um, so we, in the group, we engage in what I, I call thoughtful and respectful dialogue. Okay. You know, and that's definitely something that is missing, particularly online. I, I think. Yes. <laughs> it is so much easier to sort of go on the attack. It seems when you're just sort of like doing it at your keyboard. Right. You know, whereas you would never sort of go after, so you, you know, you would just sort of gently say, Hey. <laughs> right. Maybe and that's that, not quite <laughs> right. But I also what I also see happening is a lot of engagement where someone will ask a question and someone says, 
No, absolutely not. You can't do that without any educational component of, um, you know, hey, a reason to consider not using um, food as a descriptor is, you know, for for someone someone like me who comes from a legacy of 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 having ancestors who were sold as a commodity, mm. using a commodity to describe someone is a little icky. You know, to provide context and to put it in um, terms of, you know, great, I understand what your intention might be for writing this the way you wrote it. Let's talk about what the impact is what yeah. potential impact there is, you know, to have it again, to have the, to have this be a dialogue and to have this be a discourse instead of just a person shutting down the conversation Yeah, and, and making the person asking the question sort of curl up and hide away and maybe not write anything at all. Yeah. I think, Oh my God. I, first of all, I just learned something. So thank you. Uh- <laughs> I had no idea. And that just opened my eyes. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, thank um, you. But I, I just, I think that there is something. Yes. Yeah, so th- because I really am cognizant that I want to write about what our world looks like right now. Exactly. And our world is not all white and straight. In fact, I think, I think at this point, like majority of this country now is, is non-white. Right. The majority of people in this country identify as multiracial in some way. Right. Right. So, but, but it is this sort of, wait, can I, can I write that? I want to write a diverse, a diverse world, but I'm not sure, but can I, you know, I don't want to say, am I allowed? Um, Right. (laughs) You know, but how do you know, how do I do that? How I how do I do that sensitively? How do I do that? And okay, hire a diversity, um, you know, diversity reader and great, but but I don't but I'm not even sure how to write that. Like I'm not even sure how to get to that point where I'm gonna need a diversity reader to look at what I'm writing. Right. (laughs) And so we talk about, you know, and doing doing we say do the work, right? But often that work begins with ourselves. Right. And examining our own bias, our, our, our unconscious bias, the types of bias that we have. I, I refer to it as your, your default setting, you know, your, that knee jerk reaction, that first instinct reaction that you have. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then taking a, taking a moment, taking a breath to sort of go, huh. Now, why is it that I think that way? Or why is it I feel that way about a certain person or certain group of people? Um, and what do I really know? <laughs> mm. And um, and doing some research. And I absolutely agree that uh, particularly younger readers, and I always share this story about my daughter, um, um, who is also my, she's, she's my daughter. So she's a, she's, we say she's a mix of a mix. And, um, but she was watching, uh, the Gilmore girls. 
Right. And um, I, and I, I've never seen the show and she was kind of binge watching it and I was in and out of the room. And at one point I stopped, I was like, what is this show about? (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, oh, you know, it's small town white girls doing small town white girl things. And I kind of laughed and she said, but here was the part that's important. She said, but it doesn't matter because it's not real anyway. Mm. And I think particularly younger readers, if you aren't writing a world that sort of reflects the real world we live in, it doesn't read authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Younger people, I think, are having a harder time relating to the sort of, you know, this, the, the, so one of the things I, I say in my workshop is if like, maybe you're not ready to write a diverse character, maybe that's not your comfort level, but if you're writing a, a small town um, you know, or in, and you know, there's the little church at the end of the block, but is there also a little mosque or a little synagogue? Right. Or is there um, a little halal grocery store? Because a lot of small towns now have those things. Right. And so there is a way to be more inclusive in your work just by creating um, neighborhoods that reflect the neighborhood you live in. Perfect. Absolutely love that. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll get back to the dirty talk. And now back to the sex. <laughs> and, now back to the, and now back to the sex, which I know that's why everybody's here. <laughs> but okay, but you don't write, well, oh God. Okay, um, well, I'll dig into it with your scene. And so we're going to, we're going to go there um, now. Whoa. But I, I, before we go into your scene, I'd love to, to define intimacy with you. Mm-hmm. What does int- intimacy mean to you? Right. So, I mean, certainly there is a physical component to intimacy, obviously. Um, but for me, being intimate with someone is really about feeling um, comfortable enough with that other person to bear all of the things that make you you. Mm. Um I think, again, going back to what's the default setting, we think of intimacy and we think of sex, but I think of intimacy and I think about, you know, the first time that I really shared um, details with my, with my husband about, um, you know, a, a, a abuse that happened in my childhood. I mean, that is a intimate it's a deeply intimate moment yeah right and then and and the many layers of comfort that can be offered in that moment right um so for me intimacy is is it's not in the details it's in the feeling oh I love that yeah, because I, I, that's why, you know, when I sort of talk about, you know, 
we were talking about intimate scenes on this podcast. And that's where I've struggled to get sweet romance writers to talk to me is because <laughs> there is that default of, well, intimacy, when you're talking about intimacy, it's the physical act of sex. It's about getting, you know, bearing yourself physically to another person. But really, I think it's about bearing your soul. It's about bearing your soul. And, you know, as a, as a, um, as a person who identifies as, as, um, as both mixed race and, and certainly my blackness is a huge part of my identity. Um, you know, intimacy can be, you know, the first time that I let my husband see my hair curly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the first time I let him touch my hair. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a very intimate moment. Um, and, and there is a level of trust that needs to be there before you get to that moment. Right. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So your scene. Yes. Is from. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be. <laughs> from the way forward. Yes. which is from the first book in the Heart of Colton series. Now, why did you pick this particular scene? What is it about this scene? Um, I think what I loved is that, not to spoiler alert, but that, <laughs> that he walks away. Oh. Oh, okay. What, what is that? What is it about that, that he walks away? I think this is a person that has taken things for granted his whole life and he doesn't, he's not going to take this for granted. Ooh. Okay. Um, so set this up for us. Where are we in the story? Um, oh gosh, that's a great question. I wrote the book. I should know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I'd probably be the same way. I'd be like, I have no yeah. idea. I have no idea what's going on. No. Um, um, so Dax returns to Colton. He runs into um, this woman that he um, bullied when they were children. And he is talk about the push pull he is horrified and he is and he sees her for the first time as a woman and he is attracted to her and she is at a crossroads of trying to decide if she can let the past go mm, yeah can she let it all go um, and, um, it's just a beautiful moment on her front porch in the rain of a good, it's just, and it's just kind of this, again, it's, it's, to me, it's incredibly intimate because they are vulnerable in that moment and, um, showing themselves okay. fully. Ooh, 
I, I did this in such a gorgeous scene. But anyway, okay. Um, I have a quick, like, sort of, like, rules question for you. Yeah. Um, because, spoiler alert, they kiss in this scene. We do have, we have a little action, guys. Yeah, action. there's a kiss. Woohoo! <laughs> now, I know that there are some sort of, like, rules of sweet romance. You only kiss once. Is, is that, yeah. do you follow the, do you know, are, are, are I have are never been a rule, I have never been a rule follower. Okay. I have to tell you that I didn't even, like, people are like, oh, you wrote a bully romance. Oh, you wrote a sweet romance. I was like, I wrote, I wrote, I told the story that I wanted to tell. Okay. I don't put it in any, um, yeah, it's just, it is what it is and I don't follow, I've never been a good, rules are like suggestions for me. Right. Right. You know, I might take the suggestion or I might not. Okay, cool. I was just kind of curious about it because I was reading it. I'm like, okay, they kiss. And, it, you know, but I, it depends who you talk to, but I do know yeah. one of the rules is, oh, they only get, and even then maybe they don't kiss. It's like maybe the promise of the kiss. I'm like, okay, that is just a bridge too far. Yeah, in my no, I like writing. I love writing. Now I, you know, I don't like necessarily, or I don't feel like I'm good at writing beyond the kiss, but I love a good kiss. I'll yeah. Write, I'll, yeah. We can kiss all day. <laughs> Okay, so let me, uh, let's give this a read. They faced each other on her porch. She looked into his brown eyes and her heart hammered at the intensity in his expression. For a minute, the rain disappeared and it was just the two of them. His face was suddenly so close to hers, she could see the tiny drops of water that clung to his eyelashes and lips. Without thinking, Callie opened the door, reached for Dax, pulling him inside. Another flash of lightning illuminated the sky, bringing another deluge. His wet t-shirt hugged his muscular hugged his muscular shirt, and little raindrops slid down his jaw. Just a minute, she ran into the bathroom and came back with a large towel, shoving it at him. Dax took it from her, but instead of using it on himself, he reached over and began to wipe her face. Callie closed her eyes. She felt his breath on her cheek, and then his lips brushed against her damp skin at the corner of her mouth. She wasn't sure if he shifted or if she was the one who gave that fraction of an inch and brought them together. The only thing he, she did know was that she had never been kissed before. Sloppy kisses from timid boys in high school and the college boys who wanted to show off their skills were all forgotten when his lips met hers. She gasped from the wonder of it all, of it, and his tongue slipped inside. He reached up, caressing the back of her neck. Her knees would have given out if he hadn't pulled her closer, and suddenly she found herself pressing against him, wanting more. She cupped his cheek, reveling in the feel of his whiskers against her fingertips. He moaned, and the knowledge that she had the power to make him do, do that went straight to her head. She placed her hands on his chest and could feel his heart beating in time with hers. He started to pull away, but she grasped his shirt and held on. He covered her hands with his and pried them away, but continued to hold them, his gaze searching her face. I know I shouldn't, but I, I couldn't help myself. I'm... Kelly closed her eyes. Don't say you're sorry. Just don't. He ran his thumb across her cheekbone, wiping away a tear or a raindrop. She wasn't sure. He pressed his forehead against hers. I should. I need to go. Kelly swallowed and nodded. The right thing would be for him to leave. It was a time when the safe thing for her was to run away from the boy. But that time had passed, and she wanted to stand with the man holding her so gently now. I'm not afraid, she whispered to herself as much as Dax. 
I want to know what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, I want to say the 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 use of weather. Yeah, like I love it. I know, like I know some writers do it and do it. You do it so well. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, and I would love to do. Of course, my books are set in Los Angeles, where there is no weather except <laughs> beautiful. So that is my excuse. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, like so gorgeous with the lightning and the fact that he's soaking wet and the raindrops sliding down his jaw. I mean, wow, <laughs> so beautiful, and and that really sort of. That's where the intimacy really started to drive home there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, the rain also just sort of, yeah, the rain is washing away the years of stuff between them. And in that moment, like, that is kind of, I think, the first moment where they're both in the present. Right. There is no. Is this kind of like a moment of realization between the two of them in terms of their feelings? Yeah. And I think, well, and I think, I think for Callie, for sure, she is, she is, um, you know, she's like, okay, I'm, I think I'm ready. Mm. I think I'm ready to, I mean, this, this is a boy who gave her nightmares. Yeah. And we're going to learn why and understand all of those things. And, and she's going to learn why and understand. And then, and then she has to, she has to decide is the why enough. Mm. Right. Right. And what that journey towards forgiveness, I guess, would look like. Yeah. And what that journey for forgiveness is not as simple as, Oh, I forgive you, and then everything is okay. And you know, I mean, you can forgive someone, but you still have a that past experience that brought you to that place of forgiveness is still part of who you are. It's it's right. been incorporated into your into your being. Yeah, and it's sort of molded you somehow, or you know, it has impacted you in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and 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 sometimes, and sometimes we choose not to forgive. Right. And what does that look like? (laughs) And when do we say, you know, nope, I've had enough. I don't, I don't forgive what you did. Yeah. And um. Yeah, I just, I just, um, I love, it's so funny, I, like, yeah, okay, I, I, I love this story, I, all three books, all, the first three books in the series, I think, are just, um, yeah, I put my, I put my heart and my soul and my history into them, so that is another kind of intimacy, right, because right. I'm, I'm sharing with you um, a little bit of my real history um, in the story. Was this your first series? This is my first series. Um, Yep, The Way Forward is my debut as an author. And um, I'm really excited. I'm I'm working on book four right now. So there will be a book four in the series. And then um, I have a new series coming out from Thule um, 
that I describe as um, interracial Romeo and Juliet set in a vineyard, but nobody dies at the end. Oh, <laughs> that's excellent. That's and excellent. Um, really, it's just an excuse to do, um, I'm using air quotes, research, which just involves drinking more wine and visiting more wineries in Bianca. But, you know, if a, if a book comes out of it, too, then hey. <laughs> <laughs> added bonus. (laughs) Well, I do want to sort of ask you about the wine thing. Um, because Uh I, I spoke with, uh, Kilby, Kilby blades, uh, was the last episode that released and she is a sommelier, which I always Mm -hmm. say wrong. I think I got that right. Hopefully Mm -hmm. she'll be proud of me. Um, and, and we sort of talked about how that influenced her writing. And so I'm, I want to ask that, but I had a quick, again, sort of almost mechanic question for you Mm -hmm. on this scene where, you know, her knees would have given out if you hadn't pulled her closer and suddenly she found herself pressing against him wanting more. There is some tantalizing details going on here. Yeah, (laughs) I like my details. (laughs) And I was going to say, like, where do you draw the line with your steam and how do you know where to draw it since you are not writing? That's a great question. That is a great question. Um, I draw the line of, um, I usually try, I usually put them in, in just right up to the moment of interest, intimacy. And then I like to think of it as like, I'm showing you everything. You know, what's going to happen. Listen, you're, you're a grown ass person. You know, what's coming next. (laughs) I have to tell you, cause you're going to, you know, so that, so let's, so let's slowly creep back out of the room and close the door and give them some privacy. Okay. That's how I think of it. All right. That's really cool. I like that. Okay. So wine, let's talk about wine for a second. Have you, no, you've started this new series, correct? I have. The first book is, um, the first book has been written. Yes. Okay. So how the, the wine, wine is so sensual. Wine is so, oh, it's such an amazing, it's a living, breathing thing and it's glorious. Yes. <laughs> How did that influence your writing of this book? Um, well, you know, it's funny. This first book in the series was um, inspired by my dad and um, and um, he was a Marine in World War II. Okay. And, um, I just had this idea of, um, so there's sort of a a running backstory throughout the book of two soldiers in World War II, um, that are actually part of the Italian campaign. So, um, and one of the soldiers is, um, a black man from Mississippi, big surprise. (laughs) And, um, uh, but the other soldier is a first generation American with Italian, immigrant parents and he's he's so he is born in america but he's in italy this place that he's heard stories from about his whole life and um his um his family owns a vineyard in california Mm. and he is um and as they are traveling through italy um antonio is teaching henry about wine and they are learning about each other through having this experience of sharing a glass of wine. Ooh. Ooh, I love it. And 
yeah, and it, I, I, I think um, I, I spend a lot of time in vineyards around, and we, I live in Washington State, and we have a ridiculous amount of vineyards, and, um, and actually, I'm lucky enough that there's a urban winery in my neighborhood, like five minutes from my house, and so oh, I go. And very I, cool. Um, and um, I pester the guys that own the winery of, with questions for books, but I also, um, I also go in and I, I work the crush when the, when the harvest happens, like, but go out and actually harvest the grapes and bring them back to the winery and put them through the destemmer and do all the work that needs to be all, all the stages that makes oh. wine wine. Oh, and wow. So you've gone through the whole winemaking process. I have gone through the whole winemaking process, even bottling. I've, I've worked the bottling line. I've, I've done pretty much every single job you can do in a winery I have done. That's cool. Um, and I, and I love it. And, um, I, start having a vineyard fantasies of like, honey, we could buy a vineyard and go. And he just kind of looks at me and he's like, just, just keep writing. Just write another book about it, sweetie. Just put it in the book. He's like, Hey, great. Now put that in the book. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. But I, I'm, I'm, I love the idea that it, again, all the stages of, of grow of the vine and, bud yeah. break and 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 the life cycle and then and then you open this bottle of wine and the minute you open a bottle um and 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 oxygen hits the the wine it it changes again right. and we talk about a wine opening you know it, it opens up it, it it's it's um flavor profile changes oh at, once you open the bottle in the course yeah. of however long it takes to drink that bottle and and in it weirdly it's kind of like people right we go through oh. these stages and yeah. we go through these changes and just like people wine is a living breathing thing it has mm. history it has complexity it it's not just a simple yeah it's a grape but it's so much more it's funny because I feel like I heard somebody say somewhere and I was like, oh no, this is, that's wrong. You can't be, but the idea that like every bottle of wine tells a story. Yes. And it sort of tells a story from the dirt that it's good. The grapes are grown yep. in to the sun that is, you know, that hits it. And, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a story in every bottle of wine. So I'm yeah. not making that up in my head. It probably, somebody did no. probably say that to me. <laughs> I, and I think that's so true. I think there is a story and it is about, you know, where, where was the fruit grown? Who grew it mm. even? And, yeah. um, one of the vineyards that really inspired the vineyard that in one of the vineyards in the book is, um, a vineyard here in Washington state called Red Willow. Um, it's the easternmost vineyard in the state and, um, actually, um, part of the Yakima uh, reservation land and um, run by a, a master grower, this guy named Mike Sauer. And um, I mean, if I could, I would just go follow him around the vineyard all day and just listen <laughs> to him talk about why I just, he's amazing. And um, 
but there's so much history there. Yeah. There's so much history in this land and, and the people who, who work there and, and, and the, and so every bottle is, is, is generations. Mm. Yeah. And again, I'm a romantic at heart, so maybe I'm over romanticizing <laughs> it, but I just, um, and I, and you know, one of the, um, there's a, a Psalm out here who, who does, um, wine education classes and, um, she gave the best description about talking about when you taste wine and people say, well, what does this taste like? And people say, Oh, this has notes of whatever. And, but it's, I would say, what does it remind you of? When you take that first sip, does it remind you of, you may say, well, it tastes like grapes. Well, does it taste like, you know, or it tastes like strawberries. Well, does it taste like warm strawberry jam on a summer day? Does it taste like fresh strawberries? Does it taste like that strawberry in a strawberry pie? What does it remind you of? What is that memory of strawberry that that taste evokes? Oh, I love that. I think that's a much more approachable way to to, to for people. Yeah. Yeah. Think, when yeah. you start framing it in, well, what does it make you think of? Yeah. Then because people go, oh, yeah. Oh, and then I taste this and this. Yeah. And this because it's about sense memory. Yeah. yeah. Wine, tasting wine is about your sense memory. Yeah. Because I think when they say, what are the flavor notes? You're like, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. Like, it's like a quiz. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's the hidden secret. There is no wrong. Oh, fascinating. Because it's your memory. Oh. So there, it can be whatever, at least in my opinion. I think there's a new way of thinking, sort of the old Psalm school and like the new Psalm school is sort of like, no, it can be whatever you want it to be. It's your experience. You're the one drinking the wine. I'm not going to tell you what you're tasting is wrong. How how cool. What, gosh, we just being extra servicey on steam scenes today. This is so cool. <laughs> We're learning a bit about wine, too. I love We're it. <laughs> always good to learn about wine. <laughs> okay, so that's coming from tool in 2022 2022 spring of 2022 okay great and the third book um in the heart of colton series the way beyond um as we're recording this it's coming out in like two weeks it's coming out on september 13th i'm very excited i've been dying to tell jacob and may's story since the first book <laughs> so i'm very excited and and uh and they gave me as much trouble as I thought they would. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, and it looks here we've got an FBI handler and yeah. uh, political intrigue a little bit. Yeah. Maybe a little political intrigue. Um, so this is this sounds really good. I'm excited um, to really dive into the series because it's absolutely, um, you know, what I've read of it is so wonderful. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Where can people find you on the Internet? Where do you hang out? Sure. Um, so I hang out on um, Facebook, Ileana West, and um, the Facebook group Writers for Diversity. 
And um, I am also on Instagram, um, Eliana West on Instagram. Um, you might find some pictures of wine. Um, just saying. <laughs> I think there might be a couple of pictures of Bianca on there too. And then, you know, some book pictures because technically that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Um, and um, yeah, and my website, ilianawest.com. And for Writers for Diversity, it's writersfordiversity.com. Excellent. And I will have all of this in the show notes so that people can, you know, don't have to scribble things down or if they're driving, they don't have to do something unsafe. <laughs> so, Eliana, thank you so much for doing this and for being here. This was really great having you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had a great, great time. This well, was a lot of fun. Come back. Come back and we'll talk more about wine with the wine At, series. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.